Section 27 of Captain Singleton. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, visit LibriVox.org. The Life, Adventures, and Piracies of Captain Singleton by Daniel Defoe. Section 27. I come now back to my own history, which grows near a conclusion, as to the travels I took in this part of the world. We were now at sea, and we stood away to the north for a while, to try if we could get a market for our spice, for we were very rich in nutmegs, but we ill knew what to do with them. We durst not go upon the English coast, or, to speak more properly, among the English factories to trade, not that we were afraid to fight any two ships they had, and, besides that, we knew that, as they had no letters of mark or of reprisals from the government, so it was none of their business to act offensively. No, not though we were pirates. Indeed, if we had made any attempt upon them, they might have justified themselves in joining together to resist, and assisting one another to defend themselves, but to go out of their business, to attack a pirate ship of almost fifty guns, as we were, it was plain that was none of their business, and consequently it was none of our concern. So we did not trouble ourselves about it. But, on the other hand, it was none of our business to be seen among them, and to have the news of us carried from one factory to another, so that whatever design we might be upon at another time, we should be sure to be prevented and discovered. Much less had we any occasion to be seen among any of the Dutch factories along the coast of Malabar, for being fully laden with the spices which we had, in the sense of their trade, plundered them of, it would have told them what we were, and all that we had been doing, and they would no doubt have concerned themselves all manner of ways to have fallen upon us. The only way we had for it was to stand away for Goa, and trade, if we could, for our spices, with the Portuguese factory there. Accordingly, we sailed almost thither, for we had made land two days before, and being in the latitude of Goa, were standing in fair for Margallon, on the head of Salsat, at the going up to Goa, when I called to the men at the helm to bring the ship to, and bid the pilot go away north-north-west, till we came out of sight of the shore, when William and I called a council, as we used to do upon emergencies, what course we should take to trade there, and not be discovered and we concluded at length that we would not go thither at all, but that William, with such trusty fellows only as could be depended upon, should go in the sloop to Surat, which was still farther northward, and trade there as merchants with such of the English factory as they could find to be for their turn. To carry this with the more caution, and so as not to be suspected, we agreed to take out all her guns, and to put such men into her, and no other, as would promise us not to desire or offer to go on shore, 
or to enter into any talk or conversation with any that might come on board, and, to finish the disguise to our mind, William documented two of our men, one a surgeon, as he himself was, and the other a ready-witted fellow, an old sailor, that had been a pilot upon the coast of New England, and was an excellent mimic. These two, William dressed up like two Quakers, and made them talk like such. The old pilot he made go captain of the sloop, and the surgeon, for doctor, as he was, and himself, supercargo. In this figure, and the sloop all plain, no curled work upon her, indeed she had not much before, and no guns to be seen, away he went for Surratt. I should indeed have observed that we went, some days before we parted, to a small sandy island close under the shore, where there was a good cove of deep water, like a road, and out of sight of any of the factories, which are here very thick upon the coast. Here we shifted the loading of the sloop, and put into her such other things, only as we had a mind to dispose of there, which was, indeed, little but nutmegs and cloves, but chiefly the former. And from thence William and his two Quakers, with about eighteen men and the sloop, went away to Surratt, and came to an anchor at a distance from the factory. William used such caution that he found means to go on shore himself, and the doctor, as he called him, in a boat which came on board them, to sell fish, rowed with only Indians of the country, which boat he afterwards hired to carry him on board again. It was not long that they were on shore, but that they found means to get acquaintance with some Englishmen, who, though they lived there, and perhaps were the company's servants at first, yet appeared then to be traders for themselves, in whatever coast business especially came in their way, and the doctor was made the first to pick acquaintance. So he recommended his friend, the supercargo, till, by degrees, the merchants were as fond of the bargain as our men were of the merchants, only that the cargo was a little too much for them. However, this did not prove a difficulty long with them, for the next day they brought two more merchants, English also, into their bargain, and, as William could perceive by their discourse, they resolved, if they bought them, to carry them to the Gulf of Persia upon their own accounts. William took the hint, and, as he told me afterwards, concluded we might carry them there as well as they. But this was not William's present business. He had here no less than three and thirty tons of nuts and eighteen tons of cloves. There was a good quantity of mace among the nutmegs, but we did not stand to make much allowance. In short, they bargained, and the merchants, who would gladly have bought sloop and all, gave William directions, and two men for pilots, to go to a creek about six leagues from the factory, where they brought boats, and unloaded the whole cargo, and paid William very honestly for it, the whole parcel amounting, in money, to about thirty-five thousand pieces of eight. 
besides some goods of value, which William was content to take, and two large diamonds worth about three hundred pounds sterling. When they paid the money, William invited them on board the sloop where they came, and the merry old Quaker diverted them exceedingly with his talk, and thee'd them and thou'd them till he made them so drunk that they could not go on shore for that night. They would fain have known who our people were, and whence they came, but not a man in the sloop would answer them to any question they asked, but in such a manner as to let them think themselves bantered and jested with. However, in discourse, William said they were able men for any cargo we could have brought them, and that they would have bought twice as much spice if we had had it. He ordered the merry captain to tell them that they had another sloop that lay at Marguerite, and that had a great quantity of spice on board also, and that if it was not sold when he went back, for that thither he was bound, he would bring her up. Their new chaps were so eager that they would have bargained with the old captain beforehand. Nay, friend, said he, I will not trade with the unsight and unseen, neither do I know whether the master of the sloop may not have sold his loading already to some merchants of Salsat. But if he has not, when I come to him, I think to bring him up to thee. The doctor had his employment all this while, as well as William and the old captain, for he went on shore several times a day in the Indian boat, and brought fresh provisions for the sloop, which the men had need enough of. He brought, in particular, seventeen large casts of arrack, as big as butts, besides smaller quantities, a quantity of rice, and abundance of fruits, mangoes, pompions, and such things, with fowls and fish. He never came on board, but he was deep-laden, for, in short, he bought for the ship as well as for themselves, and, particularly, they half-loaded the ship with rice and arrack, with some hogs and six or seven cows alive, and thus, being well victualled, and having directions for coming again, they returned to us. William was always the lucky, welcome messenger to us, but never more welcome to us than now for where we had thrust in the ship, we could get nothing, except a few mangoes and roots, being not willing to make any steps into the country, or make ourselves known till we had news of our sloop. And indeed, our men's patience was almost tired, for it was seventeen days that William spent upon this enterprise, and well bestowed, too. When he came back, we had another conference upon the subject of trade, namely, whether we should send the best of our spices, and other goods we had in the ship, to Surat, or whether we should go up to the Gulf of Persia ourselves, where it was probable we might sell them as well as the English merchants of Surat. William was for going ourselves, which, by the way, was from the good, frugal, merchant-like temper of the man, who was for the best of everything. But here I overruled William, which I very seldom took upon me to do, 
but I told him that, considering our circumstances, it was much better for us to sell all our cargoes here, though we made but half price of them, than to go with them to the Gulf of Persia, where we should run a greater risk, and where people would be much more curious and inquisitive into things than they were here, and where it would not be so easy to manage them, seeing they traded freely and openly there, not by stealth, as those men seemed to do. And besides, if they suspected anything, it would be much more difficult for us to retreat, except by mere force, than here, where we were upon the high sea, as it were, and could be gone whenever we pleased, without any disguise, or, indeed, without the least appearance of being pursued, none knowing where to look for us. My apprehensions prevailed with William, whether my reasons did or no, and he submitted, and we resolved to try another ship's loading to the same merchants. The main business was to consider how to get off that circumstance that had exposed them to the English merchants, namely that it was our other sloop. But this the old Quaker pilot undertook, for being, as I said, an excellent mimic himself, it was the easier for him to dress up the sloop in new clothes, and first he put on all the carved work he had taken off before. Her stern, which was painted of a dumb white or dun colour before, all flat, was now all lacquered and blue, and I know not how many gay figures in it. As to her quarter, the carpenters made her a neat little gallery on either side. She had twelve guns put into her, and some petereros upon her gunwale, none of which were there before and to finish her new habit or appearance and make her change complete he ordered her sails to be altered and as she sailed before with a half-sprit like a yacht she sailed now with square sail and mizzenmast like a ketch so that in a word she was a perfect cheat disguised in everything that a stranger could be supposed to take any notice of that had never had but one view for they had been but once on board. In this mean figure the sloop returned. She had a new man put into her for captain, one we knew how to trust, and the old pilot appearing only as a passenger, the doctor and William acting as the supercargoes, by a formal procuration from one Captain Singleton, and all things ordered in form. We had a complete loading for the sloop, for, besides a very great quantity of nutmegs and cloves, mace and some cinnamon, she had on board some goods which we took in as we lay about the Philippine Islands, while we waited as looking for purchase. William made no difficulty of selling this cargo also, and in about twenty days returned again, freighted with all necessary provisions for our voyage and for a long time, and, as I say, we had a great deal of other goods. He brought us back about three and thirty thousand pieces of eight, and some diamonds, which, though William did not pretend to much skill in, 
yet he made shift to act so as not to be imposed upon, the merchants he had to deal with, too, being very fair men. They had no difficulty at all with these merchants, for the prospect they had of gain made them not at all inquisitive, nor did they make the least discovery of the sloop, and as to the selling them spices, which were fetched so far from thence, it seems it was not so much a novelty there as we believed, for the Portuguese had frequently vessels which came from Macau in China, who brought spices, which they bought of the Chinese traders, who again, frequently, dealt among the Dutch spice islands, and received spices in exchange for such goods as they carried from China. This might be called, indeed, the only trading voyage we had made, and now we were really very rich, and it came now naturally before us to consider whither we should go next. Our proper delivery port, as we ought to have called it, was at Madagascar, in the bay of Mangaheli. But William took me by myself into the cabin of the sloop one day, and told me he wanted to talk seriously with me a little. So we shut ourselves in, and William began with me. Wilt thou give me leave, says William, to talk plainly with thee upon thy present circumstances, and thy future prospect of living, and wilt thou promise on thy word to take nothing ill of me? With all my heart, said I, William, I have always found your advice good, and your designs have not only been well laid, but your counsel has been very lucky to us, and therefore say what you will. I promise you I will not take it ill. But that is not all my demand, says William. If thou dost not like what I am going to propose to thee, thou shalt promise me not to make it public among the men. I will not, William, says I, upon my word, and swore to him, too, very heartily. Why, then, says William, I have but one thing more to article with thee about, and that is that thou wilt consent that, if thou dost not approve of it for thyself, thou wilt yet consent that I shall put so much of it in practice as relates to myself and my new comrade doctor, so that it be nothing to thy detriment and loss. In anything, says I, William, but leaving me, I will, but I cannot part with you, upon any terms whatever. Well, says William, I am not designing to part from thee, unless it is thy own doing, but assure me in all these points, and I will tell my mind freely. So I promised him everything he desired of me in the solemnest manner possible, and so seriously and frankly withal, that made William no scruple to open his mind to me. Why then, in the first place, says William, shall I ask thee if thou dost not think thou and all thy men are rich enough, and have really gotten as much wealth together, by whatsoever way it has been gotten, that is not the question, as we all know 
what to do with. Why, truly, William, said I, thou art pretty right. I think we have had pretty good luck. Well, then, says William, I would ask whether, if thou hast gotten enough, thou hast any thought of leaving off this trade. For most people leave off trading when they are satisfied of getting, and are rich enough. For nobody trades for the sake of trading, much less do men rob for the sake of thieving. Well, William, says I, now I perceive what it is thou art driving at. I warrant you, says I, you begin to hanker after home. Why, truly, says William, thou hast said it, and so I hope thou dost too. It is natural for most men that are abroad to desire to come home again at last, especially when they are grown rich, and when they are, as thou ownest thyself to be, rich enough, and so rich as they know not what to do with more, if they had it. Well, William, said I, but now you think you have laid your preliminary at first, so home that I should have nothing to say, that is, that when I had got money enough, it would be natural to think of going home. But you have not explained what you mean by home, and there you and I shall differ. Why, man, I am at home. Here is my habitation. I never had any other in my lifetime. I was a kind of charity schoolboy, so that I can have no desire of going anywhere, for being rich or poor, for I have nowhere to go. Why, says William, looking a little confused, art not thou an Englishman? Yes, says I, I think so. You see, I speak English, but I came out of England a child, and never was in it but once since I was a man, and then I was cheated and imposed upon, and used so ill that I care not if I never see it more. Why, hast thou no relations or friends there, says he, no acquaintance, none that thou hast any kindness or any remains of respect for? Not I, William, said I no more than I have in the court of the Giet Mogul, nor any kindness for the country where thou wast born, says William. Not I, any more than for the island of Madagascar, nor so much neither, for that has been a fortunate island to me more than once, as thou knowest, William, says I. William was quite stunned at my discourse, and held his peace. And I said to him, Go on, William, what hast thou to say farther? For I hear you have some project in your head, says I. Come, let's have it out. Nay, says William, thou hast put me to silence, and all I had to say is overthrown. All my projects are come to nothing, and gone. Well, but... William, said I, let me hear what they were, for though it is so that what I have to aim at does not look your way, and 
though I have no relation, no friend, no acquaintance in England, yet I do not say I like this roving, cruising life so well as never to give it over. Let me hear if thou canst propose to me anything beyond it. Certainly, friend, says William, very gravely, there is something beyond it, and lifting up his hands, he seemed very much affected, and I thought I saw tears stand in his eyes. But I, that was too hardened a wretch to be moved with these things, laughed at him. <laughs> what, says I, you mean death? I warrant you, don't you? That is beyond this trade. Why, when it comes, it comes. Then we are all provided for. I says William, that is true, but it would be better that some things were thought on before that came. Thought on, says I, what signifies thinking of it? To think of death is to die, and to be always thinking of it is to be all one's life long a dying. It is time enough to think of it when it comes. You will easily believe I was well qualified for a pirate that could talk thus. But let me leave it upon record, for the remark of other hardened rogues like myself. My conscience gave me a pang that I never felt before when I said, What signifies thinking of it? And told me I should one day think of these words with a sad heart. But the time of my reflection was not yet come. So I went on. Says William very seriously, I must tell thee, friend, I am sorry to hear thee talk so. They that never think of dying often die without thinking of it. I carried on the jesting way a while farther, and said, Prithee, do not talk of dying. How do we know we shall ever die? And began to laugh. I need not answer thee to that, says William. It is not my place to reprove thee, who art commander over me here. But I would rather thou wouldst talk otherwise of death. It is a coarse thing. Say anything to me, William, said I. I will take it kindly. I began now to be very much moved at his discourse. Says William, tears running down his face. It is because men live as if they were never to die, that so many die before they know how to live. But it was not death that I meant when I said that there was something to be thought of beyond this way of living. Why, William, said I, what was that? It was repentance, says he. Why, says I, did you ever know a pirate repent? At this he startled a little, and returned, At the gallows I have known one before, and I hope thou wilt be the second. He spoke this very affectionately with an appearance of concern for me. Well, William, says I, thank you. I am not so senseless of these things, 
perhaps, as I make myself seem to be. But come, let me hear your proposal. My proposal, says William, is for thy good as well as my own. We may put an end to this kind of life, and repent, and I think the fairest occasion offers for both, at this very time, that ever did, or ever will, or, indeed, can happen again. Look you, William, says I, let me have your proposal for putting an end to our present way of living first, for that is the case before us, and you and I will talk of the other afterwards. I am not so insensible, said I, as you may think me to be, but let us get out of this hellish condition we are in first. Nay, says William, thou art in the right there. We must never talk of repenting while we continue pirates. Well, says I, William, that's what I meant, for if we must not reform, as well as be sorry for what is done, I have no notion what repentance means. Indeed, at best I know little of the matter, but the nature of the thing seems to tell me that the first step we have to take is to break off this wretched course, and I'll begin there with you, with all my heart. I could see by his countenance that William was thoroughly pleased with the offer, and if he had tears in his eyes before, he had more now. But it was from quite a different passion, for he was so swallowed up with joy he could not speak. Come, William, says I, thou showest me plain enough, thou hast an honest meaning. Dost thou think it practicable for us to put an end to our unhappy way of living here, and get off? Yes, says he, I think it very practicable for me, whether it is for thee or no, that will depend on thyself. Well, says I, I give you my word, that as I have commanded you all along, from the time I first took you on board, so you shall command me from this hour, and everything you direct me, I'll do. Wilt thou leave it all to me? Dost thou say this freely? Yes, William, said I, freely, and I'll perform it faithfully. Why then, says William, my scheme is this. We are now at the mouth of the Gulf of Persia. We have sold so much of our cargo here at Surat that we have money enough. Send me away for Basara with the sloop, laden with the china goods we have on board, which will make another good cargo, and I'll warrant thee I'll find means among the English and Dutch merchants there, to lodge a quantity of goods and money also as a merchant, so as we will be able to have recourse to it again upon any occasion, and when I come home we will contrive the rest, and in the meantime do you bring the ship's crew to take a resolution to go to Madagascar, as soon as I return? I told him I thought he need not go so far as Bassara, but might run to Gumbrun, or 
to Orma's, and pretend the same business. No, says he, I cannot act with the same freedom there, because the company's factories are there, and I might be laid hold of there on pretense of interloping. Well, but, said I, you may go to Ormus then, for I am loath to part with you so long as to go to the bottom of the Persian Gulf. He returned that I should leave it to him to do as he should see cause. We had taken a large sum of money at Surat, so that we had near a hundred thousand pounds in money at our command, but on board the great ship we had still a great deal more. I ordered him publicly to keep the money on board which he had, and to buy up with it a quantity of ammunition, if he could get it, and so to furnish us for new exploits, and in the meantime I resolved to get a quantity of gold and some jewels which I had on board the great ship, and place them so that I might carry them off without notice as soon as he came back. And so, according to William's directions, I left him to go the voyage, and I went on board the great ship, in which we had indeed an immense treasure. We waited no less than two months for William's return, and, indeed, I began to be very uneasy about William, sometimes thinking he had abandoned me, and that he might have used the same artifice to have engaged the other men to comply with him, and so they were gone away together, and it was but three days before his return that I was just upon the point of resolving to go away to Madagascar and give him over. But the old surgeon who mimicked the Quaker and passed for the master of the sloop at Surat persuaded me against that, for which good advice and apparent faithfulness in what he had been trusted with, I made him a party to my design, and he proved very honest. At length William came back, to our inexpressible joy, and brought a great many things with him, as particularly he brought sixty barrels of powder, some iron shot, and about thirty ton of lead. Also he brought a great deal of provisions, and, in a word, William gave me a public account of his voyage in the hearing of whoever happened to be upon the quarter-deck, that no suspicions might be found about us. After all was done, William moved that he might go up again, and that I would go with him, named several things which he had on board that he could not sell there, and particularly, told us he had been obliged to leave several things there, the caravans being not come in, and that he had engaged to come back again with goods. This was what I wanted. The men were eager for his going, and particularly because he told them they might load the sloop back with rice and provisions. But I seemed backward to going, when the old surgeon stood up and persuaded me to go, and with many arguments pressed me to it, as, particularly, if I did not go, there would be no order, and several of the men might drop away, 
and perhaps betray all the rest, and that they should not think it safe for the sloop to go again, if I did not go, and to urge me to it, he offered himself to go with me. Upon these considerations I seemed to be over-persuaded to go, and all the company seemed to be better satisfied when I had consented, and accordingly we took all the powder, lead, and iron out of the sloop into the great ship, and all the other things that were for the ship's use, and put in some bales of spices, and casts or frails of cloves, in all about seven ton, and some other goods, among the bales of which I had conveyed all my private treasure, which, I assure you, was of no small value, and away I went. At going off I called a council of all the officers in the ship to consider in what place they should wait for me, and how long, and we appointed the ship to stay eight and twenty days at a little island on the Arabian side of the gulf, and that if the sloop did not come in that time, they should sail to another island, to the west of that place, and wait there fifteen days more, and that then, if the sloop did not come, they should conclude some accident must have happened, and the rendezvous should be at Madagascar. Being thus resolved, we left the ship, which both William and I, and the surgeon, never intended to see any more. We steered directly for the gulf, and through to Basara, or Balsara. This city of Balsara lies at some distance from the place where our sloop lay, and the river not being very safe, and we but ill acquainted with it, having but an ordinary pilot, we went on shore at a village where some merchants live, and which is very populous, for the sake of small vessels riding there. Here we stayed and traded three or four days, landing all our bales and spices, and indeed the whole cargo that was of any considerable value, which we chose to do rather than go up immediately to Balsara, till the project we had laid was put in execution. After we had bought several goods, and were preparing to buy several others, the boat being on shore with twelve men, myself, William, the surgeon, and one-fourth man, whom we had singled out, we contrived to send a Turk just at the dusk of the evening, with a letter to the boatswain, and giving the fellow a charge to run with all possible speed, we stood at a small distance to observe the event. The contents of the letter were thus written by the old doctor. Boson Thomas, we are all betrayed. For God's sake, make off with the boat and get on board, or you are all lost. The captain, William the Quaker, and George the Reformade are seized and carried away. I am escaped and hid, but cannot stir out. If I do, I am a dead man. As soon as you are on board, cut or slip, and make sail. FOR YOUR LIVES. ADIEU. R.S. We stood undiscovered, as above, it being the dusk of the evening, and saw the Turk deliver the letter, 
and in three minutes we saw all the men hurry into the boat and put off, and no sooner were they on board than they took the hint, as we supposed, for the next morning they were out of sight, and we never heard tale or tidings of them since. End of section 27 Read by Dennis Sayers in Modesto, California for LibriVox.